And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. It's another Tuesday Apologetics morning here at Sandy Creek Stirrings. I am so glad that you chose to join me this morning. This subject we're going to talk about this morning, I cannot stress the amount of importance that it has. This subject, I believe, is the one that you, as a Christian, will use the most, and I think it's the most important one that we will discuss. And so if there's one that I want you to invest time in, one that I want you to focus on, it would be this subject right here. I think if you're honestly a Christian who is concerned about lost souls, and by the way, a true Christian is concerned about lost souls, if you are that, then this subject will be one that you will be talking about all the time. You must learn how to adequately talk about it, how to adequately defend it, how to adequately prove it. So, are you ready to hear what the subject is this morning, or should I keep you waiting a little bit longer? Maybe let your anxiety level rise a little bit. Now, the subject we're going to talk about this morning is salvation. Salvation. Now, that may seem very basic, especially if you're saved. Um, It may seem very basic. It may seem very like, oh, well, that's kind of ordinary. That's kind of plain. Why would you pick salvation as truly the first topic we're going to discuss on the Apologetics Tuesday mornings? Why? Why salvation? Here's the reality. There is a misconception across the world. There is a misconception across the United States. There is a misconception across people who claim to be Christians about what true salvation is. Now, you've been there. I know you've been there. If you've been talking to people about Jesus Christ, about being born again, about being saved, you have been there where you've talked to people and they have this kind of like, I don't know, do we really call it a testimony? It's more kind of like a a wishy-washy story that goes back and forth on really what they're trusting in. You know somebody like that. I know, I know a lot of people like that. In my time working at the hardware store for five years, I came across a lot of people who they weren't sure if they were truly going to heaven. Now, they had a lot of reasons for why they felt like they were going to heaven, but they really didn't know what biblical salvation was. And so as a Christian man, I need to make sure that at any point in time, if somebody is struggling with salvation, that is the thing I need to focus on. You'll find in the Bible that when the apostles discussed with people, what was the number one topic? Salvation. Proving that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and he was the Messiah, all leading up to salvation, that was the number one topic. You'll find when Philip, remember Philip, he went over to the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah as a sheep before the shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I mean, what a passage for him to just happen to be reading. But he was reading that passage. Philip said, Understandeth what thou readest. He said, I have no idea unless some man guide me. He said, Can you? And Philip said, I can. He got up in the chariot and he preached to him why Jesus Christ was the Messiah, ultimately to teach him what true biblical salvation was. So this subject this morning is extremely important. I was talking with a gentleman this week. He didn't know for sure if he would go to heaven or hell. He thought he would go to heaven. 
I mean, if he had to pick one, he would have picked that he was going to go to heaven. Let me tell you something. If I have to pick and like I'm not completely sure, I'm going to side on the safe side, say I'm going to hell and make sure I'm going to get saved, make sure I know where I'm going. All right, I'm not going to hope I'm going to go to heaven. There is a way we can know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. God wrote to us the words of God so we can know that we have eternal life. We don't have to guess about it. We don't have to guess about it. And so this gentleman, he wasn't sure. He didn't know. He began to give me all the reasons why. He thought he would go to heaven. He had lived a good life. He had done some good things. He, he had been baptized. He prayed every night. I mean, he gave me all these reasons, but the reality was all those things couldn't satisfy that, that urging in his mind, that conviction from the Holy Spirit, that he really didn't know. Think about it. Think about that. The balance of the souls of men and women that you and I know sometimes hang upon whether or not we can adequately describe what true salvation is. So many times we become content with just somebody telling us that, oh, I'm a Christian, but we never truly establish what their salvation testimony is. Let me tell you something. If you've got a friend and you've just been trusting all along that they've been saved because they said they're a Christian, why don't you be a true friend this week and ask them how they got saved and talk about what true salvation is? That would be a true friend. All right, so let's go ahead and discuss what is salvation. Now, this is going to be basic, but I think it's very important you understand this and be able to describe it to other people. Everything we're going to talk about in apologetics is going to be based on a few things that we talked about in the first lesson. They're going to be based on logic. They're going to be based on Bible verses. They're going to be based on biblical principles and examples. And we're going to make sure that our arguments make sense, okay? That's why they're going to be logical. So let's go ahead and discuss some things about salvation. Number one, let's talk about what salvation is not. What salvation is not. Number one, salvation is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. If someone told you, well, this feeling came over me, or I felt like, that is not true salvation. And here's the reason why salvation cannot be a feeling. Our feelings are part of our emotions, all right? They're produced by our heart, and that makes them subject to two things. Number one, our feelings are subject to being wrong because the very source of our feelings is wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's deceitful above all else. If there's anything Satan is going to use to try and convince you that you're not saved, what do you think he's going to use? He's going to use your feelings. He's going to use those to try and convince you that, hey, you're saved. Don't worry about it. There's no need to to fear. You're on your way to heaven. You had a feeling. Well, they're desperately wicked above all else. Who can know it? All right, so they're subject to being wrong because it's wicked. Number two, our feelings are subject to change. Have you ever woke up one morning and you're just happy? I mean, it's the greatest day ever. I mean, you just woke up with some joy that morning. Isn't it exciting? And then, like, breakfast time hits, and you are just this grumpy mess. And you say, oh, that's only, that's only this woman I know. No, it happens to men as well. Our feelings are subject to change. Our feelings, our emotions, our heart is always changing. They are something that is not consistent. And so, therefore, we're not going to base our salvation off of something that is at its center, at its core, is wicked, 
but something that's always changing. Let me ask you a question. If you're going to watch the news, and let's say you were looking at information about, ah, pick any subject, let's say the government was going to shut down, all right, and you were watching the news, and there's this big news, the government might be shutting down, and one reporter got on and said, hey, I feel like the government is going to shut down, and let me tell you why I feel that way. All right, you've got that one reporter. Or would you be more apt to trust the reporter who said the government is going to shut down, and here is the reason why? Would it be too forward of me to say that you would trust the one who gives the reasons, not their feelings? Yeah, we, want, we don't trust people who give their feelings. We want the facts. We want the reasons. We want the truth. When people put their feelings automatically into something, we automatically know it might not be true. We want the facts. We want the reasons. We want the truth. And that's the reality is that salvation cannot be a feeling. The Bible does not want you to base your eternal security off of your feelings and something the Bible says is wicked and that is your heart. Salvation is not a feeling. Number two, salvation is not an experience. It's not an experience. I want to be very careful to define what I mean. Salvation isn't some event that happened where this experience took place, like uh, the Holy Spirit just came over me, or I just, I just started dancing around, or all I know is I just started speaking in tongues all over the place, or I started shaking and laughing uncontrollably. Now, to some, that may seem a little a little bit in jest, but those are real testimonies of people that I've heard from. That's how they claim to have gotten saved. They experienced this experience, and that's how they got saved. Salvation is not an experience. It's not an event that you go through. And I'll tie this in in just a minute. It'll make logical sense, okay? So salvation is not an experience. Number three... Salvation is not a journey or a process. It's not something that happens over time. It's not, it's not something that's a journey, and one day you will finally arrive at salvation. One day, we, we don't know for sure when the journey is going to end. You know, the map isn't very clear, but, you know, one day I will arrive. You know, you hear people say, well, I was being saved. Well, either you are saved or you aren't saved. There's no being saved. All right, or people talk about the journey of salvation. There is no journey of salvation. You either are saved or you aren't saved. You won't find in the Bible where it was a process of time. Take the thief on the cross, for example. All right, did he go to paradise? If you said no, then you're, then you're calling Jesus a liar. Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He didn't have time for a process. He didn't have time for a journey. He was about to die, like, in a few minutes. But let me tell you something. Salvation is not a journey. If you look in the Bible and you see biblical principles, it's not a journey. It's not a process. All right? So, in Scripture, when someone accepted Christ, they never went through a process. They never went through a journey. Salvation was always immediate. And so I feel those are the three things that you're going to face the most when talking to people about biblical salvation. You're going to face a feeling they had, an event or experience they went through, or they feel as though it's a journey or a process, okay? That's very important that you understand. Logically and biblically, none of those things can be salvation. 
So what is salvation? Okay, here we go. Salvation is a moment. It's not a feeling. It's not an experience. It's not a journey. It's not a process. But I'll tell you what salvation is. It's a moment in time. Not just any moment, though. It's a very specific moment where certain things occur. And you say, wait a second. Now you're telling me that it's not a feeling, it's not an experience, it's not a process. It's a moment, but it's a very specific moment. There's some specifics to this moment. Absolutely. The Bible sets some parameters for what this moment will contain. All right, so here we go. What is contained in this moment? All right, so what's contained in this moment? Well, number one, in this moment, whoever is about to get saved is they realize that they are a sinner. Okay? Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Our pastors are sinners. The Pope is a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single apostle was a sinner. Every single uh, father of our faith was a sinner. The only person that was not a sinner was Jesus Christ. To say otherwise is to call God a liar. All right? There's denominations who teach, well, hey, our, our Father, he, he, he doesn't sin. You know, he has holy unction from God. He's perfect. That's not true. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 3.11, there is none righteous. No, not one. And our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. So it's very important we realize we are a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All right, so what's that mean, come short of the glory of God? Well, have you ever been to a theme park before? If you like roller coasters, there's always this measuring stick, and you've got to be this high to get on the roller coaster. When I was just a young kid, I, I don't know how old I was, probably four, five, six, I'm not completely sure, but we went to Disney World, and I was going to get on, I think it was... Space Mountain or something like that. Pretty sure it was Space Mountain. And we walked up there, and there was that measuring stick, and I was just barely too short. And so my parents, being the loving, caring parents that they are, they took me to the bathroom, and they stuffed paper towels in my shoes, and I was just tall enough when I went back to get on the ride. Isn't that great? Isn't that exciting? Got to get on the ride. You know... When we go to heaven, we're going to come short of the glory of God, meaning, if I can put it to you this way, God is going to have a measuring stick that we have to be as perfect and as holy and as glorious as He is. You can have all the toilet paper in the world. You'll never be that tall. You'll never be big enough to make it into heaven. So we've all sinned, okay? So in that moment, they realize that they are a sinner. Number two, they realize they deserve God's judgment of hell. Take the beginning of Romans 6.23, for the wage, for the wages. All right, what's a wage? A wage is like a paycheck. All right, I, I work for the church. I make a paycheck from the church. Wherever you work, you make a paycheck. That is your wage for doing something. For the wages of sin is death. Now, if you compare line upon line, precept upon precept, this isn't just any death. This death is an eternal separation from God in a lake of fire forever. That's what this death is. 
And so in this moment, that person realizes they are a sinner. They realize they deserve God's judgment of hell. Okay, and God has to judge with hell. There's so many people who say, well, I don't believe God is a loving God because he wouldn't send people to hell. No, God is a God of love, but he's also a God that is a just God, meaning he has to be a good judge. Take a lady that you truly love and care about. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe, I, I don't know. You, name anybody. Maybe it's your great, great aunt. All right? And let's say she had gone to Walmart. She had gone late at night. It was 9, 30, 10 o'clock. You know, that's not super late, but for some people that's late. You know, it's dark outside. She went to go grab some milk. She came out of Walmart, and a guy stepped out from around her car and just brutally beat her and murdered her and did just despicable things to her and left her there in the parking lot dead. And so you arrive at court, and the police have captured that guy, and they lead him in. He's in his orange jumpsuit. His, his, his hands are handcuffed, and he's in court. And you're sitting there, and the judge is about to pass sentence. He's about to slam down the gavel. Guilty! But just before he does, the guy stands up and says, Hey, judge, wait a second. You know, this was kind of just a one-time thing. You know, I've done a lot of good in my life. You know, I, I've raised a couple kids. One of them's a doctor. One of them's a lawyer. One of them's a preacher. You know, I've given a lot of money to church, and I give money to charity, and I'm, I'm like the number one supporter in the world financially of ending childhood cancer. I am a really, really good person. This was just something I was out of my mind. I don't know really what happened, but, you know, this is a one-time thing. Take that into account. And the judge says, hey, you know what? You really are a good person. You know what? You're so good. I'm just not guilty. And he slams the gavel down. What would you think? Would you think that that is a good judge or a bad judge? He's a bad judge. A, a two-year-old could figure out that that would be a bad judge. Okay? Why? Because he's not supposed to judge based on the good somebody's done. He's supposed to base on the bad of what they did. And that's the reality is God is a just God, would make, which makes him a good judge. Meaning that he has to judge the sin that is in our heart. How many sins does it take to make us a sinner? It takes one. One sin makes us a sinner, which makes us deserving of the judgment of hell forever. Okay, so, number one, they realize they are a sinner in this moment of time. Number two, they, that they deserve the judgment of God, which is the judgment of hell. Number three, they also realize that God has a gift. Right? Romans 6.23, the end of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says, but God commendeth, just a big word that means God gave, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we've sinned, God paid the ultimate price to give us a gift, and that gift is eternal life. Here's two things about a gift. It's a gift. It cannot be earned. All right, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. You can't earn a gift. You know, if I were to tell you, hey, I love Christmas, and I really do. I love Christmas. But let's say I, um, every year when we wake up, we run down and we go to the Christmas tree. And I get there as a kid and, and I would go to open a gift and my dad would say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. See that gift there? 
you've got to d- go chop down all those logs that I told you to chop down, and you got to do that. That's that's how you earn that gift. And, and that gift over there, you need to go mow the lawn first. Those wouldn't be gifts, would they? Absolutely not. They'd be a paycheck. They'd be a wage. It's not a gift. A gift is something that is freely given. So therefore, it doesn't matter if you've been baptized. It doesn't matter if you pray. It doesn't matter if you do good. It doesn't matter if you give money to the church. It doesn't matter. Anything you do, it really doesn't matter. It is a free gift. It's not a wage. You cannot earn it. And the other thing is, if it's a gift of eternal life, that also means it's eternal. It cannot be lost. All right, John 6, 37 says, when you, get put, when you get saved, you get put in the hand of God. God won't cast you out. John 10, 28 says, you can't be plucked out. Jude 24 says, you can't fall out. Well, there's no other way to get out of the hand of God unless he throws you out because he's upset with you at some point. Or if the devil gets so angry one day, he just comes and rips you out. Or if one day you decide you don't want to be saved anymore and you just fall out. There is no other way to get out if those three can't happen. That means you have eternal life. Once you get saved, you are given eternal life. If you could lose it, it would not be called eternal. It would be called temporal. It would be temporary life. It'd be life you could lose because it wouldn't be eternal. All right, so they realize that God has a gift of eternal life. Why would someone die without Christ if he gives us this gift? Well, it's because some never accept the gift. The gift is there. They have to reach out and accept it. You know, on Christmas morning, I had to go down there, get the gift, and open it up. It's a gift. So, in this moment of time, the last thing that has to happen is a call to Christ. A call to Christ. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And you'll get people who say, well, I've done that before. I was in a car wreck, and I called out to Jesus to save me from dying. Or, I've done that many times. I've talked to Jesus many times. I've done that. I do that all the time. I'm always calling out to Jesus. That's not what this call is. Romans 10, verse number 9, describes very specifically what this call is. You say, wait a second, there's specifics to the moment, now there's specifics to the call. Yes, God is a specific God. Romans 10, 9 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So, Here's what this call is. Number one, you'll find in that verse, it is a confessing to and of the Lord. All right? Confess, in the Greek word, the Greek word is homologio, and it simply means two things. It means to agree. To agree. So when you confess, you are agreeing with everything that Christ says about himself. You're agreeing with the Word of God. You're agreeing with his plan of salvation. You're agreeing that you're a sinner. You agree you deserve hell. You agree that you need him. That's a very important part. If somebody doesn't agree with all those things, then they don't realize that they need salvation. So they have to agree. The second part of that definition, though, is to concede. To concede. To give up your way. To give up your method and to place it all in Christ. Concede that He is the only way to heaven. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father 
but by me. I'll tell you what, when you're witnessing to people of other denominations, especially Catholics, when you talk to them about salvation, and they'll get through it, and they'll say, sure, I'll get saved, and they'll, they'll say the sinner's prayer or whatever, and they'll get to the end. It, but what they're doing is a lot of people are just adding it to the rest of their stuff. Well, I'm just adding it to everything else I believe and hope one thing works. That's not the way salvation works. You see, to confess the Lord is to concede everything else. All right? The Bible says that we must repent to be saved. Now, some people take that the wrong way and say, well, repent means that we turn from our sins and we never sin again. Uh, No, that's not what repent means. Repent means to simply turn away, and it's a turning away from everything that we have believed before to take us to heaven. We're turning away from that and conceding everything to Jesus Christ, that he is the only way. So, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe. So this call is a confessing to the Lord. Two, it's a believing It's done, this calling out to Christ is done through a believing heart, believing the facts of the gospel, believing the death, believing the burial, believing the resurrection. You can say all the prayers you want, and you can do all the right things, but unless you truly believe, it won't make a difference. That's why I tell everybody before we pray together to get saved, I'll tell everybody, If you can say all the words you want, but unless you truly believe in your heart, it won't make a difference. You have to believe. All right? And the last thing that comes out to this call is call. That was kind of simple, wasn't it? Call. At some point, you have to take all that information and call out to Christ and ask him to come into your heart and to save you. There must be that calling out to Christ. You can believe anything you want to believe, but at some point you have to call out to Christ for whosoever, that means anybody, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. There has to be a call. There has to be a moment where you ask Christ to come in and save you. All right, when you're talking to people and they say, well, I believe in God, but yeah, have they called out to him and asked him to be their Savior? You see, the Bible says that the devils believe in their heart and tremble. The devil believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows it for a fact, but he's not going to heaven. You have to call. All right, so here's what salvation is not. It's not a feeling. It's not an experience. It's not a journey or process. Salvation is a moment in time where somebody realizes that they are a sinner. They realize they deserve God's judgment of hell. They realize that God has a gift, and they call out to Christ. In that call, they are agreeing that Jesus Christ is Lord. They're conceding every other way of going to heaven. They're believing with all their heart that Jesus Christ is true that he really did die for us, that he really was buried, and that he really did rise again. And then, number three, They're simply taking a moment to ask Jesus Christ in their heart to save them. So, when talking to somebody about being saved, ask them about that moment. Tell me about that moment when you asked Jesus Christ in your heart to save you. When was that moment? Talk to them about that. 
Talk to them about the moment where they asked Jesus Christ in their heart to save them. If they truly got saved, they are going to remember that moment because it is the most important moment in all of your life. They will remember the moment. Now, do they have to remember the date? No, not necessarily. They don't have to remember the date. Paul never once mentioned a date where he got saved. But whenever he talked about salvation, he always took you to a moment on a Damascus road where he saw a great light, and he talked about the moment. If you got saved, you'll remember the moment. You may not remember the date. You may not remember your exact age, but you'll remember, hey, I was here. I was there. For me, I was three and a half years old. I remember the date because somebody wrote it down. But here's the thing. I can take you to where I was, who I was with, what I was doing, and what God was doing on my heart. That is the impact salvation will have on you. And here's the thing. If you come across somebody and you're talking with them and you're defending what true biblical salvation is, if they don't remember a moment, then this is the day of salvation for them. They can get saved today, and they can have an eternal home. They can have joy, as promised in Isaiah 61.10, the joy of our salvation they can get saved today. More importantly, if there's somebody listening and you stumbled across Sandy Creek Stirrings and this is the episode you're listening to, today can be your moment where you simply ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to save you. Today can be the day of your salvation. So, defending salvation is going to be the best thing you can ever do with your life. You're going to use it so many times. Learn to defend it. Learn to defend it well. Is this everything we could talk about in defending salvation? Absolutely not. But that's all the time we have for today. So next Tuesday, we've got another subject we'll be talking about. I'm looking forward to it. But until next time, may you keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.